0: Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish the disciple making movement that Jesus started and passed on to his disciples. Our mission is to engage, to establish, to equip, and to empower believers internationally to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and churches. Our values include being biblical, incarnational, relational, transformational, reproducible, faith-driven, prayer-driven, process-driven, principle-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. Our services arise out of our spiritual gift set of teaching, knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, and apostleship. We're glad that you joined our show today and would like to get to know you better. So drop us a note to introduce yourself and let us know from where you're listening. We welcome ideas for future show topics and guest speakers. We're reaching for excellence here, so leave us some feedback on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. Or leave us a voicemail message on our telephone line at area code 214-377-1107. You may indicate there if you'd like your voicemail message to be included in a future podcast episode. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. Disciple Making Ministries podcast show, where we've dedicated ourselves to the great commission of Jesus Christ, going out into all the world in order to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus Christ has commanded, and lo, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. In this show, we dive into topics that equip and empower you. Now, if some of you were turned off by last week's topic of obedience in disciple-making, then perhaps God will turn you back on today by the topic of grace in disciple-making. But before we dive into the topic of the essential of grace in disciple-making, we'd like to remind you to pray for some of our disciple-makers out there. In particular, God has called us to pray for two men. Pastor Jacob, who is making disciples of Jesus in villages in India, and Pastor Udemi, who is making disciples of Jesus in remote villages of Nigeria. Both of these disciple-makers have taken up the cross and followed after Jesus in order to make disciples of others where God has placed them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great call to go and make disciples we thank you for these two men pastor Jacob and pastor Udemy who have accepted the call and they have stepped out in faith to make disciples of others where God has placed them and Lord we pray that you would help us to encourage them and to equip them for this work of the ministry that you have given to them in Jesus name we pray amen now let me share a little bit about what God has been doing here lately at disciple making ministries This past weekend, I was invited to a local church retreat. I traveled some hundred kilometers away from the city and spent some quality time alone with God there. And also I had some time to spend together with my disciples and with some other brothers and sisters in Christ. It was a blessing to see three young people follow Jesus in water baptism. And also, it was a blessing to hear about the pastor's desire to have another discipleship training seminar this fall semester in his church. So I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm also excited that this past week, my friend sent me a script by email for our first discipleship video. So God is enabling us to branch out into other forms of media We are also in prayer about starting a discipleship cafe here in the city. And so we ask you to pray with us that God would reveal his perfect plan for this season in our lives. If you're interested in partnering with any of these projects, or if you're interested in taking one of our online discipleship training webinars, then please contact us through our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. But now it's time to introduce the main topic for the show, the essential of grace in disciple making. Now, Christians can sometimes easily be subject to a kind of spiritual schizophrenia. On the one hand, we receive a gospel message of grace that God sent his son into the world to die for our sins so that we might be forgiven by grace. We renounce all efforts of self-justification and completely place our faith entirely in Jesus Christ as Savior, resting in what he's done for us in his finished work on the cross. But on the other hand, we see statements in the scriptures regarding a call to discipleship, a call to obedience, in which followers of Jesus are called to deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow Jesus. Jesus himself modeled obedience when he said, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done, speaking to the Father. And last week we saw that the Great Commission gives us a command to instruct others to obey everything that Jesus commanded. So which is it? Is it grace or obedience? How does this concept of grace by faith fit together with the call to radical obedience? Well, after the break, we're going to dive into this topic about the essential of grace in disciple-making. So stay with us. Once upon a time, an old Indian man, after living many years in sin, was led to Jesus Christ by a missionary. Friends asked him to explain the radical change in his life. Reaching down, he picked up a little worm and placed it on a pile of leaves, and then touching a match to the leaf, he watched the leaves smolder and then burst into flames. As the flames worked their way to the center of the pile of leaves where the worm lay, the old Indian chief suddenly plunged his hand into the center of the burning pile and snatched out the worm. Holding the worm gently in his hand, he gave this testimony to the grace of God. That worm was like me. Now, one thing that I learned back in seminary, in preaching class, is that illustrations usually break down at some point and are, at best, approximations to the reality. Most uh, illustrations have some good points to bring out, but they fail to bring the full picture into view. But this was a pretty good illustration that emphasized three areas of grace— This illustration emphasized that grace is something undeserved. Certainly that worm did not deserve to be rescued. This illustration emphasized that grace is something being favored. That little worm certainly was favored when he was grabbed out of the fire. And this illustration emphasizes another part of grace, that grace means being rescued from something. There are other illustrations for grace. For example, there's the famous acronym, grace, G-R-A-C-E, represents God's riches at Christ's expense. This illustration kind of shows two aspects of God's grace. One aspect is the riches of God, and the other aspect is Christ's sacrifice in order to give us those riches. There's another famous definition of grace, which is grace is unmerited favor. However, that definition also lacks some of the aspects of the fullness of God's grace. So what is grace? Well, let's dig into the scriptures and find out. The Hebrew word for grace is chen, or Strong's 2580. This has the meaning of favor and acceptance, or charm, or even grace. The Greek word for grace is charis, Greek Strong's number 5485. This has the meaning of goodwill, or loving kindness, or favor, or something which produces joy, or pleasure, or delight, or sweetness. If you take all the contexts of the scriptures where they use the word grace, you can come up with a fourfold definition of the term grace. First, grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve the grace that Jesus Christ has extended to those who rebelled against him. Second, grace is the finished work. When Christ hung on the cross, he said the words, It is finished, and this statement was full of grace. Third, grace is the divine influence upon the heart. God influences our hearts. He changes our identity from the inside out based on his grace. And fourth, grace is God's ability, a supernatural capacity to do what only God can accomplish. So, the doctrine of grace pertains to God's activity rather than to his nature. In other words, grace is to be understood not as a philosophy or as a theological term, but rather as an instrument of God that is used to transform our natural inclinations towards disobedience over to obedience. This tension and balance that we find between grace and obedience is perfectly described in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Through these three verses, we see that it is through the instrument of God's grace that we are empowered for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So when you think of grace in your life, think of something other than just an experience you had some 35 years ago when you trusted Christ as your Savior. No, grace has so much more of a meaning than that. Grace is that unmerited favor, and grace is that finished work. But grace also is the divine influence upon your heart, and it's the ability of God to help you accomplish what only He can do in your life. In other words, grace is the empowering instrument that works on your heart to enable you to do what only God can do, that is, to live a life of obedience to the commands of Jesus Christ by grace you're saved and by grace you stand and by grace you're sustained and by grace you grow and by grace you serve where did grace come from was grace something that was invented by the apostle paul after the break we'll come back and answer these and more questions about grace As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but to you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Apostle Peter here declared that the scheme of our salvation by grace through faith was revealed and communicated through the prophets of old. This idea of grace was not a new idea. It had existed from the times of the Old Testament. This revelation to the prophets was presented something similar to a boxed puzzle. The prophets received pieces of the puzzle about salvation by grace through faith, But in order to see the entire beautiful picture, those pieces of the puzzle had to be assembled together. These prophets prayed, they meditated, they exercised intellectual and spiritual insights and energy in efforts to comprehend the revelation that had been given to them. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Being a prophet meant that you had a message from God, but not necessarily that you fully understood that message. They would speak into the lives of men and women in their day with confirming signs, but those messages would also have an application in the eschatological future day. Many prophecies that they spoke in their day were not even recognized prophecies until much later. For example, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and the Savior being a Nazarene. Jesus said, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Yes, prophets were given only pieces of a much larger puzzle that was not realized until Jesus came and explained it to us. The author of the Hebrews puts together a number of these pieces in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Having offered sacrifice once for sin for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God until his enemies would be made a footstool for his t- This is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their heart, and in their mind I will write them. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Hebrews is a perfect place that shows a compilation of all these different prophecies from different places in the Old Testament that were pieces of the puzzle. In Jesus Christ, these pieces were put together in fullness. Are you still thinking that grace is something new, something invented in the New Testament? Well, we see grace all over the Old Testament. There was grace in the Garden of Eden when God responded to the fall by sacrificing an animal for the sake of human beings. A life for another life. There was grace in Genesis chapter 12 when God selected Abram through whom he would bless the entire world. There was grace demonstrated in Genesis chapter 17 when God entered into a covenant with Abraham. While Abraham was yet asleep, there was grace even demonstrated during the deliverance of the law to the people of Israel. In Exodus 33:19, it reads, And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Then the Lord passed by him in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. And then how can we deny the grace that is found in the prophets, particularly in the book of Isaiah? And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. So grace was demonstrated through the sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Grace was demonstrated through the sparing of Noah. Grace was demonstrated through choosing Abraham into covenant. Grace was demonstrated through choosing David, through whom the Messiah would come. And grace was demonstrated through the prophets And grace was demonstrated through sending Jesus Christ into the world. So in the book of John, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Truth demands justice, but grace gives forgiveness. This is why Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Here we have several important theological words. The first is righteousness. Righteousness involves a legal, directional, relational empowerment towards action. Then we have the word justified, which means to be declared, to be in a right relationship. And then we have the word redemption, meaning to be liberated or set free or purchased out of bondage. The point is that grace has enabled us to be declared in a right relationship with God. Grace has delivered us from all other bondages, and grace has empowered us unto righteous living. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Many of us believers have failed to realize this concept of grace upon grace. We have been stuck in this false paradigm of a grace-once-and-then-done lifestyle. But the fact is that grace multiplies on top of itself. Grace enables us to be a grace walker or a grace dancer, you might say. Think of the illustration of a ballet. When you go to a ballet, you expect the dancers to awe you with their awesome grace, making leaps and bounds and movements that flow naturally, producing a beautiful picture. This is the way that God has enabled us through his grace to live every single day of our lives. However, many times we are not like the graceful dancers on the stage of a ballet. Many times we stumble and fail because we are living a life without understanding our grace. Scriptures go on to record that he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Wow, what a power-packed passage from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. His grace enables us to give him praise. His grace has been freely bestowed on us in the beloved or the agopied one. Grace pours out spiritual riches into our pocketbooks of life. And it says here that he has lavished on us all grace in all wisdom and insight. The word lavish means to have a superabundance, to be in excess, to have an overflow. Can't you understand that grace is such a powerful daily instrument of radical transformation like rivers of living water that overflow from the inner being of our spirit out into our soul, into our body that cleanses and heals us and touches every area of our lives? This instrument of grace is available to transform your life into a life of radical obedience and discipleship. I remind you of the words of this famous hymn about grace. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt, Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace it will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, Freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that is greater than all our sin. We're going to take a short break and then return and discuss the transformational power of grace in your life. Stay with us. You can learn a lot from those who have gone before you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about grace. "The cheap grace is grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring of repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living through us. Thomas Brooks wrote, Saving grace makes a man as willing to leave his lust." as a slave is willing to leave his galley, or a prisoner to leave his dungeon, or a thief to leave his bolts, or a beggar to leave his rags. And then John Owen, the Puritan, reflects on the relationship between grace and duty. Let us consider what regard we ought to have in our own duty and to the grace of God. Some would separate these things as inconsistent. If holiness be our duty, they would say, there is no room for grace. And if it be the result of grace, there is no place for duty. But our duty and God's grace are nowhere opposed in the matter of sanctification. For one absolutely supposes the other. We cannot perform our duty without the grace of God, nor does God give us his grace for any other purpose than that we may perform our duty. So we have this perfect, beautiful tension between grace and obedience. Galatians 5, 1-4 reads, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. But then in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it reads... For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every kind of lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So what transformational effects does the power of grace perform in our life? The grace of God builds us up and secures our inheritance among those who are sanctified. I read Acts 20, verse 32. Now I commit to you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. The grace of God can be compared to these multi-story construction projects going on in my neighborhood. Looking out my window right now, I see five or six different construction projects going on. The foundations of these buildings go deep into the ground, and the concrete is very strong and fortified, and it goes up high into the air. It would take a huge force to move any of these buildings. Similarly, the grace of God builds you up and fortifies you and strengthens you so that you can have a solid structure that cannot be moved easily. It also says here that the grace of God gives you a sure inheritance among those who are sanctified. Now, I don't have any rich uncles out there, nor do I have any rich relatives But I have the grace of God that gives me a secure, eternal inheritance that is greater than any inheritance we could have here on earth. Romans 6, 1-7 reads, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is free from sin. Grace has the power to break sin and death. Grace breaks bondages. Grace defeats addictions. Grace empowers believers to obey the Great Commission. Another transformational effect of grace is that grace resources us with abundance. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all efficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. First Grace National Bank has a sign out front that reads, We lend happiness in all our locations. He became poor so that you might become rich. Another transformational effect of grace in our life is that grace helps us in our time of need. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No matter what you're going through, grace is there to help you through it. I've gone through some rather challenging situations in my life. I've been through the valley of the shadow of death, both figuratively and literally. But I've also found that grace is always there to carry me through to the other side. There is transformational power and grace that produces great wonders and signs among God's people. Acts 4.33 reads, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Acts 6.8 reads, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs. And Jesus proclaimed that they will do greater works than even these. Grace also empowers us with a variety of spiritual gifts for the common good to build up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 reads like this, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge. To another, faith. To another, the gifts of healings. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work together by the same spirit, dividing to every man as he wills. In fact, the word gifts in the Greek is actually charisma. It comes from the same word of grace, charis. These spiritual gifts flow through the Holy Spirit into our lives for the building up of the body of Christ. There's the word of wisdom, which is supernatural wisdom leading to knowledge of future events that are to occur should nothing change or no one intercede. There's the word of knowledge, which is supernatural knowledge of a past or presently occurring event. There's faith, the supernatural ability to receive a miracle from God. There are gifts of healings, any number of methods through which the Holy Spirit, working through an individual, brings supernatural healing apart from medicine or any natural form of healing or recovery. There are workings of miracles, supernatural abilities to perform a miracle. There are prophecies, supernatural abilities to speak what God is saying in a present moment that brings edification, exhortation, comfort to somebody. There is discerning of spirits, the supernatural ability to interact with and obtain knowledge from the spirit realm. There is the gift of tongues, the supernatural ability to speak in a heavenly prayer language. There is the gift of interpretation of tongues, the supernatural ability to interpret a heavenly language. Now through grace we are not only given the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we are also given gifts of authority and leadership. Romans 1.5 reads, Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. The story of the wedding of Cana is all about transformation through grace. Those jars of water were large, probably containing 100 to 130 gallons in all. But grace is greater than all the need. The balance point of the story is when Mary tells the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. This is the picture of grace extended through obedience. It has been said, as in marriage, so in theology. Much confusion results when we try to separate what God has joined together. The gracious invitation of the gospel and the costly call to discipleship are not in contradiction with one another, but they live in complete harmony and should be held together with respect. Grace does not need to be misunderstood. Grace neither condones lawlessness nor legalism. Instead, grace is best understood as a package deal, as God's instrument of unmerited favor, the finished work of Jesus Christ. God's divine influence upon the heart, and supernatural enablement towards obedience. This larger understanding of grace provides a revolution in our thought, leading to effortless transformation and victorious living through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we grow in grace? Is this even possible? 2 Peter 3.18 suggests yes. It reads like this, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, since we can grow in grace, how can we grow in grace? I understand this list is not comprehensive, but I have a list of seven ways that you can grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. First, you can grow in grace by allowing God's word to dwell within you and to admonish one another with his word. Colossians 3.16 reads, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In order to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have to let his word dwell within you. Now this word dwell means to abide. We are to abide in the vine. You have to allow him to rule and reign over your spirit, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. And then this passage here says, if you want to grow in grace, you have to admonish one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. This second half of the verse suggests that we need relationships, we need community, we need to encourage one another, not just sit there passively on a Sunday morning and then go home. If you want to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ, you've got to grow in the context of relationship. Second, we can grow in grace by humbling ourselves, resisting the devil, and drawing near to God, and not being double-minded. James 4, 6-8 gives us this equation. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Well, in this passage, we see that humility is one of the keys to receiving grace. You have to position yourself underneath God and below others in order to receive a greater grace. Additionally, this passage suggests that you have to be engaged in spiritual warfare in order to receive grace. It says, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. You must realize you're in a spiritual battle. In order to receive God's grace, you're going to have to fight for it. Next, this passage suggests that you will have to purify yourself. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded This means you're going to have to work on yourself, on your inner being, on your soul, on your thoughts, on your intentions, on your will. Wherever there's a place of double-mindedness in your head, you're going to have to cleanse that out and make it single-mindedness. Third, in order to grow in grace, you're going to have to learn to extend grace to others through forgiveness. There's a great parable about extending grace to others through forgiveness. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he didn't have the means to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So his fellow slaves saw what had happened. They were deeply grieved and came out and reported to their lord all that happened. Wow, what a powerful story that reminds us that if you want to receive grace in your life, you need to be willing to extend this grace to others through forgiveness. The fourth way that we can grow in grace is looking after the interest of others, and regarding others is more important. Philippians 2, 3-8 through 8 reminds us of this attitude of Jesus Christ that should be in us. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Wow, this is another powerful passage reminding us that if you want to grow in the grace of God, you need to adopt the attitudes of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had the attitude of emptying himself for the sake of others, looking not only after his own interests, but after the interests of those whom he loved. That brings us to the fifth point. You might say that if you want to grow in grace, you need to learn to love God and your brothers and sisters in Christ with agape kind of love. John 13:35 reminds us, By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you want to summarize and boil down all of Jesus' commandments into one, it is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The sixth point is that if you want to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to allow the power of God to work through your weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 reads, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. God wants to demonstrate his great power through your weaknesses and when you allow him to come in and transform your weaknesses and radically use you for his kingdom then it's going to give him all the glory and all the praise and all the honor so don't worry about being weak in certain areas instead allow the holy spirit to come in and radically transform your weaknesses I share from experience that one of my weaknesses is public speaking, but it's a super blessing when the Holy Spirit comes in and enables me to share the word of God in his strength and his power where I am weak. And the seventh point on how to grow in the grace of God is to focus on the grace that will be brought to you in the ages to come. Ephesians 2.7 reads, So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that there's more to life than this age alone. Christ's grace is going to extend beyond our past salvation event, beyond our present sanctification processes, and into our glorification and future presence with the living God in ages to come. You need to keep this heavenly perspective in your mind. So in conclusion to this study and the essential of grace and disciple making, we've learned that grace is a packaged deal and an instrument of God. Grace involves God's unmerited favor, Christ's finished work on the cross, divine influence upon our hearts, and God's transformational ability in our lives, doing what only he can accomplish through us. You disciple makers out there, I encourage you not only to receive this grace into your life, not only to grow in this grace in your life, but also to extend this grace to your disciples. For they are going to fail you. They are going to make mistakes. They may even be like Peter who deny you three times. That's all the time we have for today. I encourage you to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ and to extend that grace to your disciples this week. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining our show today. If you have a question about the topic, if you have comments or any feedback, if you have any ideas for future topics or guest speakers, if you'd like to download our free online discipleship curriculum, if you'd like to join our social networking group on Facebook, if you'd like to sign up for our next disciple making webinar, if you'd like to become a patron, sponsor, crowdfunder, or volunteer to help us reach our goal, then start a dialogue with us at www.disciplemakingministries.org or leave a message at area code 214 377 1107. We also appreciate positive reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Podbean, as well as sharing the news about our podcast with your family and friends. Join us next week for another engaging episode. This is your host, David Spirik, signing off from Kiev, Ukraine.